Amen. Amen. As you're op- uh, if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 82. Psalm 82. Uh, as we continue our journey through the greatest story ever told, we'll be looking today at Psalm 82 as we think about the fall, uh, our fall into sin uh, here in this world. But as you're opening there, I want to just say a word of gratitude to our faithful and loyal and fantastic TV crew. They do such a good job every week, and um, it takes four or five computers uh, to run all that we do here on a Sunday morning. I think they're blinking thank you on the back screen. I just saw that. Uh, It takes four or five computers uh, to run what we do every Sunday. I bet you've at some point in your life had a problem with your one computer, haven't you? And uh, you imagine needing four or five to do what you need to do, and so this Uh, morning we had a little bit of adversity as things got started but our tv crew as well as our awesome minister of students and media Cole Jordan uh, made it where we uh, even surprised Lydia we had it fixed she was on her way up to tell about Annie Armstrong they had it fixed by then we were able to watch the video so we praise the Lord and Lydia is thankful because she didn't have to speak in public and uh, just not her favorite thing Psalm 82 if you have your Bibles there why don't you stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Asaph writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 1. A psalm of Asaph. God has taken His place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, He holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They Walk about in darkness, all the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, thank you for the hope we have in the gospel. And God, we thank you for your word that helps us navigate life in a broken world. And God, today I pray we would better understand the fall in order that we might better understand the redemption we have in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is one of my favorite singer-songwriters. His name's Josh Ritter. He tells a story in one of his songs called Ground Don't Want Me. Uh, he tells a story of a ruthless gunslinger who's haunted by his past. And through the course of the story he tells in the song, you realize that this ruthless gunslinger has murdered countless men. The song says, In every town the brokenhearted rang their steeple bells, for every man a box, for every hole a rose. Or is he showing the way that he left this wake of brokenness 
this path. He reflects even on killing his own mother. A buried mama standing with the knife still in her chest. The song goes on, tells this whole story, but the refrain describes the misery of his sin. I want you to hear the last verse and the, and the chorus of the song. Hear, hear what's said. It's like he's bound, as you hear this, to live. It's like he's punished with living while everyone around him dies. He feels like they're getting the rest he wishes he could get, but he just can't seem to be let go of the life of sin and misery that he's been given. I think it's an accurate description of the misery that our own sin gives to us. Listen to what the song says. Sometimes I think about mama with the knife still in her chest. And sometimes I think about all those lucky men I sent to rest. And how it's them who are sleeping, and it's me who is the ghost. Now the ground don't want me, mama. The ground don't want me. No, no, no. And here's the chorus. What is the body when the soul is flown? Has it only been forgotten? I want to lay down in a field of bone. Wants to die. But an angel guards the garden. I think in so many ways, as you listen to the rest of the album that this song is found on, Ritter is using the story of this broken outlaw and other stories as well to tell the story of the brokenness of our world, a reflection of the way that this man, this gunslinger, his curse is to live in the upside-down, broken world that he's created. And in so many ways, the same is true of us. In so many ways, not only are we cursed by death and the haunting of death, but in so many ways, we're also cursed to live. We're cursed to live in the upside-down, broken world that we have made. This character in the song longs for what he perceives as the rest of death, but as Ritter says, an angel guards the garden. Alluding, right? The very concept we're talking about now, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, were cast out of God's good and perfect garden, and there an angel was placed to guard the garden. We are east of Eden, my friends, and there's no going home. There's no going back to the garden. There's only one way back to an unbroken world. And it's certainly not by walking straight back. It's only through the blood and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that we can go home. The greatest story ever told reaches its low point today. We're at the nadir of human history. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were put in God's good garden, His very good world to rule and reign. And instead of doing what God told them to do and, and making this beautiful world that God had given them even better and allowing His glory through being fruitful and multiplying and cultivating this garden and spreading this garden and, and, and working this garden the way God told them to do and allowing the glory of God to cover the whole earth like the waters cover the sea where, where in, in genuine nature this world would have been the very sanctuary of God where He dwelled with His people instead. They submitted to the serpent. Adam bowed to the serpent instead of bowing to God, and he ate the fruit that God had forbidden, and he brought sin and all of its ramifications into the world. You see, instead of at the moment when the serpent told them, you will be like God if you eat of this fruit, instead of saying what he should have said, which is, I am like God. I'm made in his image. 
And he put me here to rule and reign as his king. And what he should have done right then was stomp the head of the serpent and be done with that forever. Instead, he thought that the serpent could offer something more than what God had already given him. And in so many ways, that's the nature of sin. Going after good things that we think are better than the already wonderful and better things God has already given us. So imagine you're right there in the garden. Just imagine God gave you a a time turner or something and you were able to go back in time and witness this first moment. And you look as Adam and Eve are there and the serpent is tempting them. And as they take the fruit and as they bite into it, imagine for just a moment, all of a sudden you see a vision of the future. You see what's going to happen. You see the devil's lie exposed in that moment. And you see the future of what that sin would bring. If that flashback had one place in Scripture that I could point to, or that flash forward, so to speak, had one place in Scripture, that vision had one place in Scripture I could point to, it would be right here. Psalm 82. A picture, a vision of what God's good design and God's good world And God's good order looks like turned upside down. Psalm 82 is a picture of God's good world and God's good order ruined and turned upside down by sin. The ruler and leader Adam having given his control and reign of this world over to Satan who the Bible later calls the prince of the power of the air. And what it looks like for this world rather than being run by God's design, what it looks like for this world to be ruled and reigned according to Satan's design, according to the warp and woof of sin. We get a picture, we get a picture in Psalm 82 of what a Genesis 3 world looks like. This morning, I would love to show you uh, three truths about the way the fall has broken God's good world. Three truths this morning to show you, help you situate the fall. As you start to think about the big picture and the story of the world and the good news we're hearing for a broken world, we've already talked about where we came from. God made us and put us here and gave us a good world. But this morning, we turn our attention to how the world was broken what went wrong later we'll talk about how we fix it and where we go from here we'll look at the whole story of the bible and the whole story of the world but this morning i want us to really focus our attention on how a good world got broken we left this world a very good place ruled and reigned over by god himself through his vice regent through his small cake king adam and now we see the way the world is broken three truths this morning to show you How the fall has impacted this world. Here's the first point. The fall turned God's good order upside down. The the fall turned God's good order, God's good design upside down. Notice what the Bible says. A psalm of Asaph. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? God says to the gods, Selah, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of 
the wicked. The opening scene of Psalm 82 is really similar to the opening scene of the book of Job. If you've ever read the biblical book of Job, you might be familiar with the sort of opening scene there where all the angels and the sons of God, it says, come and take their place before God, come to speak to Him. And here we see a a similar curtain opening where God is standing in the midst of this divine counsel. In the midst of the gods, He holds judgment. This term gods is picked up again here. You are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. These two terms together, gods almost always means angels in the Old Testament. Angels are exclusively, this term sons of God is exclusively applied to angels in the Old Testament. And so we get the sense here, similar to what's happening in Job, that the angels are here gathered before God to hear what he has to say about how they're running things. So I think this is speaking in particular then because of what God has to say. I think this is speaking in particular to those fallen angels, Satan and his demons that's rooted in the fall. We recognize as Christians from the testimony of Scripture that Adam turned his rule and his authority over to Satan. There in the garden when the serpent tempted him in Genesis 3, when he ate of the fruit, it wasn't only that Adam sinned and wrecked his own life. Right? That's oftentimes how we think about the fall. We oftentimes think about the fall like we sin personally and it messes up our life and therefore we have a broken relationship with God. But Adam wasn't merely just one of us. Adam was God's king in this world. And so when Adam sinned, not only did he ruin his own life and his own spiritual life and his relationship with God, but he also handed over the authority which God had given him to Satan. That's why Jesus later in the Gospel of John says, Now will the what? Ruler of this world be cast out. That's the truth. Adam handed his rule and authority over to Satan. And so now not only do we see the way that sin has impacted our own personal relationship with the Lord, but sin has impacted the whole world because God's good order and God's good design was turned upside down at the fall. And so Satan now and his demons, rather than God, in the way that he ought to, have wide influence over the leaders and rulers and powers and principalities that exist all over this world. And it results in a wicked inversion of God's good design. This world is upside down because of sin. And you see, this was Satan's good design. I mean, Satan's bad design, evil design, wicked design, his intention from the beginning. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but the Bible can be weird. Have you ever noticed this? Um, Y'all are like, man, preacher, are you sacrilegious? No, it's, it's weird. That's part of the point of the Bible. The world is weird, right? There are weird things in the world. But one of the weirdest parts of the Bible is a talking snake. I always love it when people talk to me about the talking snake, people who are unbelievers or like an atheist or someone who's got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, and they, they talk to me about talking snakes like I don't know it's weird. You know, like, you really mean to tell me you really believe in this talking snake uh, business? I mean, how can you believe something like that? It was like, man, listen, I, 
I know not every Christian knows their Bible like they should, but I've made it to chapter 3. You know, like I've been there, I've read it, I've seen it, I know the talking snake is there. But I think all of us are in some ways kind of troubled by some of that. Why would Satan take the form of a snake? What's, why is he talking? Why, what's going on here? Well, I want you to see how crafty the devil is. How crafty the devil is. The Bible says, Psalm 8, that man was made a little lower than the angels. And so it wouldn't have been um, as clear of a subversion of God's good design if Satan had showed up as an angel. But instead, what did he do? He, he went, took the form of something that God had really clearly given man dominion over. It, it really the lowliest of creatures, a serpent. Satan takes the form of a serpent and he goes into the garden in order that he might turn upside down the beautiful world that God had created. You see, God had made the world where he was over Adam and Eve and then Adam was there in the garden meant to work and he and Eve together were meant to cultivate this garden and have dominion over the creatures and be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. God made these three beautiful relationships, man to himself. Man to man and woman and man to the earth made these three beautiful relationships that were perfect in Eden. What did the devil do? What did Satan do? He took the form of a serpent, a lowly creature, who dictated to Eve that he knew better than God and that she therefore knew better than God, who then gave the fruit to her husband, who should have been there, right, defending his wife from this, but instead was there with her, participating in the sin. Brothers who want to blame Eve for sin, won't you stand up and do something about it? Like Adam should have. And then, Adam took of the fruit, and then when God came and said, Adam, where are you? And confronted Adam about his sin, what did Adam say? It was the woman you gave me that did this. So do you see this full inversion where it's supposed to be God, Adam, Eve, creation instead it's creation eve adam and god who's being blamed for the problem and then fast forward to this picture here in the 82nd psalm of the way the rule of satan has worked itself out among all the children of adam and eve all over the world and you see what's happened judgment is unjust Partiality is being shown to the wicked. Do you see it? The weak and the needy need rescued from the hand of the wicked. The weak and the fatherless have no rights because of the rule of Satan. God is just, and so injustice is one of the clearest signs that something is broken in God's good world. When God is reigning and ruling, justice uh, spreads forever. Justice is His cause, and yet He shows justice, perfect justice. And yet, when sin is reigning and Satan is reigning, justice is not present. Don't you see the way that is the judgment is passed in an unjust way as partiality is shown to the wicked as there's no justice for the weak no justice for the fatherless as the weak and the needy are oppressed by the wicked don't you see how this is the opposite of the good world that god created for his glory 
The good design that God had is turned upside down, and God's good world is now broken by sin and death, and there's groaning throughout the world because the true and good leader submitted himself to the serpent. The fall turned God's good design upside down. But second of all, the fall trapped God's good world in sin. We look out and we see social issues and big, major, widespread, worldwide sort of problems. And yet, at the same time, we also see the darkness and the problem in our own heart, don't we? It's enough to watch the news, but it's plenty to look in the mirror to see the way the world's broken. The fall trapped God's good world in sin. Look at verse 5. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. You see, it's not only that God's good designs have been turned upside down, and it's not only that the false trapped God's good world in sin, but we recognize that even our best efforts to make things right on our own, our best efforts to go back to Eden are imperfect at best and usually result in disaster. An angel guards the garden. Can't we see this even in our last two years of life trying to deal with COVID? feels like every good solution creates more problems. Whether we like it or not, it's just the world we live in. Sometimes even we see impure motives coming out in the way we deal with these things. But even those with pure motives, I would venture to guess, recognize there are ramifications and difficulties with every decision we make. It's hard to live in a world where sometimes there's just no right decision. There's no good decision. No matter what we do, we're going to do something wrong. Here you see the way that the psalmist describes these things. Asaph talks about how we have neither knowledge nor understanding. Theologians call this the noetic effects of the fall. It's the way it impacts even our minds and our intellect. Sin has impacted even the most pure aspects of who we are. We are not purely reasonable creatures. And so much of a reason for that is the fall. But furthermore, we walk around in the darkness of sin. And we can feel that darkness even in our own hearts. Have you ever had a thought and thought to yourself, I can't believe I thought that? You know, my greatest fear is waking up one Sunday morning and walking in here and every thought I've had in the last week being on that screen for all of you to see. Be a one-way ticket out of my job. Probably out of town. We walk in darkness, don't we? And there's darkness even in ourselves and in our own hearts. There's, there's darkness in our own selves and even in our own hearts that we are shocked by, amazed by. We walk around in the darkness of sin and how blinding the darkness is. How trapped we are by sin. My goodness, how sin has ruined Everything. We're not even aware of all our own sins. As Psalm 19 mentioned that we looked at last week. Oh God, help me see the sins I don't know about. My hidden sins. Not only the sins we know we're doing, but the sins we don't even know we're doing. The Bible says that because of all this, because of the moral darkness, 
and our lack of ability to understand the world as it is. Because of all these things, the foundations of the earth are shaken. The very governing order which God gave to this world, rooted in His Word, to order His good world that He gave us, the foundations are shaken. And we can see that all around us, can't we? We can see it all around us. We can see it not only in the folks that seem to be messing the world up, right? But even in the way that the people that are trying to fix the messed up world are messing the world up more. And then even the people we agree with, we sometimes find ourselves, I think I might agree with them, but why do they have to say it like that? Can't we show some grace? Can't we show some love? It's how the Lord treats us. No, my friends, the foundations of the earth are shaken. Things are simply not as they should be, and this is to be expected in a broken world. God's word is not known, it's not respected, it's not revered, and thus the good order of God's good world is shaken to its very foundations. As Christians, let me say, one thing we have in common with those who disagree with us is that we both agree the world's broken. We both agree that there are problems I think one challenge that Christians have in this age is we tend to be flocking toward lost people who agree with us on how the world's broken in every way, in most ways, but not toward lost people who disagree with us over how the world's broken. I think we ought to try to work a little harder to find common ground with those whom we disagree with, but to try to think through how we can build some sort of a bridge toward the gospel with those who think very differently than we do very differently. Now, I think we should be building a bridge to the gospel with those who think like we do, but not at the expense of everyone else. We have to make sure that we are sharing love and grace in the gospel with everyone around us. So many of us are trying so hard to prove that we're not of a certain political stripe, that we forget to live like we're Christians. My friends, we have to work carefully to recognize everyone, everyone Everyone feels the wobbliness of the foundations of this world. And unless we are ready and able and willing to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, those people will never know God. And this world, this world will never be made right until Jesus returns. I want to say one last thing this morning. The third point is this. The fall is not the final word. The fall is is not the final word. Notice this, last couple of verses here, 6, 7, and 8. I said, you are God's, Jesus quotes this later in the Gospel of Matthew, you are God's, sons of the Most High, all of you, nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Some people think this psalm is primarily about earthly rulers, except I think this verse doesn't really make sense if it's about earthly rulers. Like men, you will die. Well, they are men, they will die doesn't really make sense that he would need to say that. But he says, I said, you are God, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die. Satan and all of his angels will be cast out and judged and thrown into the lake of fire, the Bible says. You know what the Bible calls this lake of fire? The second death. Like men, you will die. And then the text goes on to say, Arise, O God, judge the earth. For you shall inherit 
the nations. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. And as you think about Jesus' life during this Easter season, I want you to think about what he did. He came into the world, and what sorts of things was he doing? Well, he would go and he would cast out demons by his own authority. Places where demons seemed to reign and rule, they would flee at the presence of Christ. You ever notice how demons seem scared when Jesus shows up? Do anything to us. Cast us into these pigs, for goodness sake. Just don't throw us into the abyss. Because he has the authority to reign and rule even over the demons. You see, because what Adam had given to Satan, Jesus was taking back by force. It wasn't simply a rescue mission. It was an invasion of enemy territory. Not only did he cast out demons, but he also undid the impact and effects of their rule everywhere he went. Storms were calmed and diseases were healed and hungry people were fed and true knowledge of God was delivered. Light truly pierced the darkness everywhere Jesus went. Stability and peace and hope and love followed. Jesus came and began the process then and there of steadying the foundations of the world. And even as Jesus began his ministry, what did Satan do? He tried to give the nations to Jesus on Satan's terms. But instead, Christ set a face like flint toward Jerusalem where he would die because the only way for a broken world to be made right was through his own death and resurrection. And as that death and resurrection were drawing near, in John chapter 12, Jesus spoke about Satan, verses 31 and 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Do you see how powerful Christ was? Do you see what he was doing to cast the prince of the power of the air out of this world? Do you see what he was doing to bring judgment on the earth? He went to a cross. His weakness was enough to cast the strong man out. His weakness was enough to overcome the darkness of the world. All of the darkness, all of the judgment, all of the wrath that everyone in this world deserved had to touch down on the chest of the Lord Jesus Christ there at Golgotha in order that this world might be delivered from the darkness that spread over it like the waters cover the sea. Christ was truly the light in the darkness. He was truly the water of life, the bread of life. How do we respond? What should we do with this news of a crucified and broken Savior who drank the wrath of God to the hilt to deliver sons and daughters of Adam and Eve from the curse? What do we say? How do we respond? What should we say in return? Arise, O God. Judge the earth. For you, shall inherit the nations. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never trusted Jesus for the first time, what a joy it would be for me today to see you 
Turn from your sins in repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus. If you need someone to talk to, I'll be right here. If you want to just do that right where you are, you do it. He's ready and willing to save. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Second of all, you may be a believer and you just need some time to respond to the brokenness of this world, some time to pray, some time to pour out your heart to God. You can do it right where you are, or as you know, this altar is wide open to you. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. Man, I would love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I'd like to invite you to come. Let's pray together.